Hello and welcome to the Exhibition Inhibitions podcast presented by Radar. Joining me today is Dr. Owen Parry. Would you, how are you doing today, Owen? Hey, Maddie. Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's lovely to hear from you. I've been interested in your work for a while now, so it's going to be a great time to actually talk to you and hear a bit more about it from the inside. So for a lot of our listeners, they might not know, they might not be aware of your work. So perhaps could you give a quick introduction to the kind of work you do? Uh, yeah, I could do that. So um, I usually describe myself as um, an artist and a researcher because I feel like my work kind of, yeah, a lot of my work is, is very research focused as well. Um, what can I say? Um, my practice, I would say, is definitely rooted in like performance and the performative aspects and even, uh, you know, even my kind of visual art projects always end up in some form of event. So whether that's a fan club or, you know, a cabaret or whatever, there's always something kind of connected to that. So, um, but yeah, um, I work in installation, I work in uh, video, sound, writing, um, and uh, yeah, more, more recently, my work has been focused around uh, fandom and fan culture, as you know, because you took my seminar, fans and amateur experts. Uh, was it last year? Yes, it was last year. Yeah, it was year. last year. Feels a very long time ago now, but... Yeah. I know, so much has happened. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about your practice might be a good place to start, as you seem to work quite a lot within like collaborative publications, especially like some of your Yoko Ono fan fiction, and the, I think it was the Penny Arcade interview you did about, I think it was like seven or eight years ago now. Yeah, so, it was a while. Yeah, how do you find yourself in these kind of collaborative projects, and how vital do you think it is to your practice working in that collective to present and display your work? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say actually collaboration and collectivity is my biggest inspiration in all my work. Um, and that started started off, you know, when I was starting starting out, I guess, uh, which was quite some time ago now, <laughs> uh, at least more than 10 years ago. What I really did was I just hung out a lot <laughs> in art and with other artists. Um, it, you know, and I found myself kind of, um, you know, assisting other artists. I appeared, you know, for many years, for example, I uh, worked with the artist Arit Asheri. Um, and uh, I ended up getting involved in a lot of Arit's. She was a mentor on one of my first ever kind of projects with uh, a friend of mine, Rebecca Collins. Um, and out of that, I ended up kind of working with Arit. And uh, yeah, it was really, that's been really important to me because it was through working with Arit that she also, you know, when, when I would perform in her works, she would then also ask the festival if, you know, I could also show my work <laughs> as, as part of my collaboration with her. So that was me starting off really. But I think just hanging out in art as much as possible, you know, um, and enjoying yourself. That's the good the, the play, place to begin. But yeah, that has always led me into, you know, yeah, looking back at my work, I guess one of the yeah key aspects of my work is always collaboration in, in various different forms. I never set out with that as an idea, but it always happens. Um, I feel like it's like a necessary, if, you know, there's different, sometimes it's been about me and, you know, another friend or artist having an idea that we want to explore, a, a common idea. 
Um, then there are things like, you know, looking back, I made, um, I kind of created a Yoko Ono tribute band, uh, like I think it was in about 2014. And that came out of a conversation with someone I met online through like a virtual uh, art forum uh, who was called uh, Vanessa Blayblock Company, who's kind of like a fictional artist. Um, and she was very much involved in uh, kind of, uh, I guess, kind of like, yeah, more like digital performance. And this was really new to me at the time. Uh, but she helped me create, uh, <laughs> she helped me create this band that I couldn't create in my actual life because no one else apart <laughs> from me wanted to be in a yoga and a tribute band. Um, so she, she did a lot of work on like Second Life and it was the first time that I'd ever entered that kind of space, you know, like pre-Sims if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, she, she obviously kind of games collaboratively, co collaboratively with, with other uh, gamers on that um, uh, app. If, and um, she got some of her like online friends to play as part of the band. So I was in a place called Performance Space in Hackneywick performing live and we, uh, they performed in Second Life in a gallery called Sesswa Arts and like we projected it into the gallery and me into the gallery in Second Life. So there was this like mixed media. So that was an interesting collaboration, I think, that just came out of, yeah, a conversation with someone about my work and me being like, How I can't make this thing in my real life because <laughs> no one else wants to do it. I think it's really lovely hearing you talk about just hanging out being like this vehicle, I guess, for coming up with ideas. Because even in like the works you produce, there is the element of hanging out. Like there was the four hour performance piece where you were just hanging out in like this little space created with like fan materials and like cloths and like comfort things. That's what you did. And then there was all, even in like your video works where I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think it might have been the faint piece, the how to faint right. video, yeah. where even then like the video clips of you and the other performers on like the duvets and blankets, that does look like it's just you guys were hanging out and you had these materials around. Let's make a video to be in this light, like larger piece. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that that comes across. I feel like hanging out is a really important part um, of my work. And to be honest, it's everything I just ever want to do. You know, I always want to hang out. <laughs> I think hanging out is, um, and you know, that is something I've really missed, right? I mean, I've done a lot of hanging out online, um, but I've really missed, you know, you mentioned the, um, I call them performance hangouts, these kind of four, four to seven hour long kind of performances um, that involve uh, like a playlist of usually like pop music backing tracks, like karaoke versions, slowed down. Um, and I worked, uh, I think the one that you're talking about was called Fick the Sky. And I worked, yeah, I, I worked it, yeah. with um, three uh, performers basically to develop a kind of like choreography that moved so they were kind of somewhere between like the Macarena, like Tai Chi, uh, <laughs> kind of these non-accumulative, like quite easy uh, dance routines that they performed. And then they also just hung out and the audience sat around this. That all happened on, on top of, um, yeah, on, on top of a screen made of like just kind of kind of trash materials, uh, things from fandom, uh, shower curtains, 
gaffer tape together just on this screen on the floor, um, like a European Union flag. Um, <clears throat> and then the audience sit in the kind of dark on, yeah, in bean bags or like in picnic in fashion. Um, and the whole, you know, uh, vibe of this piece is that, you, that it's very open, that you feel like you can come and go. And my question was really like, how can we make a performance that doesn't ask to be looked at all the time? You know, because it's uh, so that we could enable the audience to also like kind of just relax and come and go. Um, and uh, to also feel free to like we, we included um, uh, like we, we bought like sockets in so people could plug in their computers and their phones and the whole thing was being live streamed at the same time. And this was also. You know, it's worth saying, but this was like also before the pandemic. So I've always been kind of interested in also like streaming my work online. Um, and uh, yeah, there's always been a kind of interaction with that anyway, even even before the pandemic. So it's really interesting hearing you talk about this and like obviously seeing it in your past works where this kind of like virtual collaboration has always been an element of what you've been doing. And I want, I'll talk about it a bit more later on, but it might be interesting to touch on it a bit now. But do you find yourself kind of drawn to these kind of like virtual collaborations as kind of like the position as the outsider, I guess? Because a lot of your work does relate to like queer themes and that kind of thing. And that's like very outside of the mainstream stuff. But then so are these virtual communities and places that you're interacting with. Yeah, that's really great that you touched upon that. Um, so, yeah, I feel like most of my work has come about through what I understand as a kind of subculture of performance art in London and also club performance coming out of kind of queer clubs, actually. Um, and I did, you know, I used to perform in, in nightclubs <laughs> in my younger days, uh, <laughs> um, where I also, you know, which were also like collaborations. Um, and, uh, yeah, so when I came across, for example, you know, fan communities online um this was you know i i always talk about it as around like 2013 or 14 like encounter you know being on tumblr and feeling like that was being in like new york in the 1960s <laughs> yeah i think you called it the bohemian nature of it i was found a quote of yours that you explained it like that and yeah, yeah I was talking like about the it avant-garde. earlier because I found it so strange you explaining it like that because at the same time I was on Tumblr as a 13-year-old interacting with those like on the ground level and it's so, so interesting like hearing it from like this complete other perspective yeah. of my own that you're seeing it's like this great exciting thing whereas I just thought it was a place to talk to people online. I mean that's also you know I have to say that's why it's also been such a a joy, you know, running my fans and amateur experts seminar because, you know, a lot of my research engages with the stuff that you guys, like my students, uh, were really much involved in, right? Um, like you just said, like being on Tumblr <laughs> around around that time. And uh, yeah, I really think, you know, I really think that was a real moment where a lot, you know, there was so much like aut autonomy in yeah, what I would also, you know, maybe call like minority communities is a place for people to go and share things and feel a sense of commonality with other people as well, you know. Um, and I think, you know, fandom is interesting to me because it allows expression for, for particularly women, 
uh, queers, you know, people of color. It allows um, minor minority communities to to rethink the, you know, canon structures and narratives, and and have see you know bring in their own versions of the world. And I found that fascinating. Obviously, when I found out when I found these images of Larry Stylens and. <laughs> Um, from, you know, uh, Louis and Harry from One Direction, uh, In Love, and all these kind of, like, yeah, homoerotic and domestic narratives, but created by women. I was just fascinated. And girls, I was like, this is, you know, really, really interesting and very different from the kind of, uh, I guess, the kind of queer narratives in art that actually come from the position usually of, like, often gay and white male perspective so um yeah there was a lot 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 of interesting things there that got, got me inspired <laughs> kind of touching back upon like the idea of finding like common ground with people and like kind of relating that again back to your use of collaboration a lot do you think in like the beginning because obviously you did a lot of collaborations with your friends you mentioned rebecca earlier a lot of them, you, well, I'd say almost all of your performances you do with either other performers or with other collaborators. How important would you say it is to work with others when displaying your work in front of an audience? Just because a lot of the time, especially when you're early in your career, you're often trying to find people to do stuff with because then there's more people you're doing it with and then that makes there be more of an audience, perhaps. Uh, absolutely, yeah. That's that's one of the key things, you know. Um yeah, it becomes a whole, uh, you know, it's a, what you just described there is a kind of networked way of being, I guess, right? Um, and yeah, you, you get more of an audience. But other than that, you also just get a lot, yeah, it just becomes a lot more pleasurable to do things with people. Um, you know, and I've been increasingly, as the years go along, you know, I'm, I'm much more inspired by artworks that are created by collectives you know, these days, and not just collaborations, but, yeah, this move around the idea of this kind of solo artist um, to this idea of the collective feels really important, I think, especially now, you know, I think we need this sense of feeling that we, there is power when we're together, um, and I think collaboration um, and even, you know, seeing that and witnessing that it kind of spreads. It has a, an energy. It has. A, it creates an atmosphere and a vibe when you're in a group, right? It's like a group of fans dancing in a mosh pit. Like that's a huge thing. But art can be when it's collaborative. It can have the same kind of, aff, you know, it can have the same affect. It can have the same um, impact on you, and you kind of also want to become part of it. And that's how we change the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you think even like when you've been working more academically in your essays and other like papers you've written, a lot of the time they're published in group collections rather than just like standalone pieces of text. Do you feel as though working within like an academic field has also encouraged that kind of collaboration and idea of the collective? That's, that's a great question, actually. Um, in some ways, I think, I mean, my... You know, I I did a PhD, practice-based PhD, and that has very much informed the way I work, I have to say, you know, um, and that having that very intense process is definitely, um, yeah, it gave me the time and the space to explore and think about all those things as well. 
But in terms of, um, yeah, publishing uh, and, yeah, working, you know, doing my research in that way. Um, yeah, I think there is a kind of way of doing that more collaboratively um, and that, you know, I, I mean, I end up writing pieces for like, you know, books like the Fandom's Methodology book, which was, you know, that is me working on my own and it's part of an edited collection, but that's more of a, I think that's more to do with the structures of publishing, um, particularly ac academic publishing, uh, and that was like an edited collection. So, um, but I think at some point I would like to kind of take stock on all the work I've been doing and maybe create you know, more my own kind of monograph or something as well, my own my own book looking at all that stuff. But collaboration would definitely be a huge part of that. Um, but then also the other things like the fanzines, you know, I created, which were more independent, like the I created a, a light fans of live art fanzine, which was basically about fans of performance art and uh, got, you know, a lot of that also came out of a series of workshops I did with fans of live art. Um, and then we, we, we had a fan club and we created this, you know, collaboratively created this scene. Uh, so that's another model, I suppose, of, of collaboration through like publishing and research. It might be useful then to kind of move on to the ideas of like career and practice working together. Mostly because obviously I know you through, you were a lecturer of mine on a seminar. So I just, I'm kind of interested in learning that does teaching kind of facilitate your artwork or is it like a separate entity from it? Because it seems as though just from the series of like seminars, obviously you do even like workshops and events, they all have that kind of like, they kind of that meet in the middle between teaching and practicing art. And I was kind of interested if you could explain that a bit further. Oh, that, that's actually really great to hear what you just said, because I'm glad that that has translated in that way, because that, that's how I want it to be when I'm teaching. So not in, not in all aspects of my teaching do I get the opportunity to really bring in my research, but, um, you know, at CSM and as part of the Unit 6 seminar, I get the opportunity to, to run a seminar in relation to my own research and... Um, I run the Fans and Amateur Experts seminar, I think for about five years. And I did my research with the students, you know, that's why I was so involved, I guess, in it, because I was encountering a lot of that material for the first time. I, I created a reading list of things I wanted to read and I got to read them with you guys, which meant that I was super invested, which I think was hopefully, you know, also quite exciting for you guys then. Um, and that's the way, yeah, you know, and I think that is the best model of like teaching. So for me, I get a huge amount out of that, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, get, I end, end up working with you guys and learning so much through that, because for example, you know, you talking about spending your teen years growing up on Tumblr, well, Tumblr is my kind of research subject in some ways, you know, so I'm also learning a lot through that experience as well. Um, so yeah, for me, um, my teaching is very much in connection with my practice. And I think this kind of idea of like, uh, there being like a, a difference or like those, what, what is the old saying? Those who can't teach or something, whatever the, yeah. the old saying is. 
I really feel like that is quite an outdated kind of concept. Um, for me anyway, particularly because I actually really get a lot out of teaching, you know, uh, and I really enjoy it. So, um, but yeah, I mean that I have to say that isn't all aspects of teaching because there is, there is a lot of uh, other aspects to it, like, you know, administration and also having to uh, lead uh, aspects of teaching not connected to my research uh, in other institutions as well. Um, but yeah, that isn't so great. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Fans and Amateur Experts class has been a bit like my uh, my kind of baby for, <laughs> for a number of years. But you know, I'm, I'm doing a new one now. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I've started a new, which is, I, I, I guess it's a trajectory from my Fan Riot project and the Fans and Amateur Experts seminar. But this year I began a new seminar called Conspiracy Gate, which is on oh, yeah. art and conspiracy theories, which is also you know, connected to my interest in fan fiction and world building and... Uh, the new runner two-day workshop recently, it was, oh, it was like, oh, what was it called? It was like Dali and a paranoiac conspiracy theory of it. Yeah, it was called Dali's Paranoiac Critical Pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I was reading about that, I found it really interesting because obviously... It was a virtual event due to everything going on, but alongside Zoom, you chose to include Discord as like a means to talk with people interacting in that. And I kind of wanted to ask you a bit more of that because how did you end up choosing Discord? That's quite like people who play games and are within fandoms. That's kind of like the social media outlet they use to talk to people. Yeah, I was kind of wondering how you got there. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny, actually, we didn't end up using Discord on the second day, which was the plan. But um, I have been using Discord uh, in my practice and in uh, through workshops and also through teaching. Um, so I worked on um, a I worked on a, a show with a group of uh, acting students at Rose Bruford College in January and February. And uh, we developed like an online kind of in kind of interactive game slash LARP slash performance that was called This Is Not A Game. And uh, with with that, a huge part of the process, because it was so tiring also working, you know, remotely on Zoom every day, um, Discord is a great site for being able to hang out, but not to not also always have this kind of interaction that you have through Zoom, you know, where you... Yeah, where you kind of always have to be present. You cannot with with Discord. There's elements of just like there's text channels, there's voice channels, and you know the possibility of video. But you can also move. You can build your own kind of rooms, so you can move in and out of different rooms. So it became this space where we we kind of uh, role played uh, characters. So we entered that space as fictional versions of ourselves, <laughs> which was really fun. Wasn't your name like Baby G or something? I think that's what I saw you call yourself on the fan wrote page or something like that. <laughs> Baby G Parry. Yeah, I, I think I've got I've got a lot of different um <laughs> online personas. Oko sixty nine has been one that's gone on for years and I I've published fan fictions and different stuff under the pseudonym Oko sixty nine. Um but yeah, Baby G Parry was like a bit like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just like a, yeah, I suppose it's a silly version of 
Dr. Orange Pari. No, I mean even Dr. Orange Pari is another you know, another You lose a lot of pseudonyms, like even in your early stuff, like was it the collaboration you did with Rebecca as you mentioned earlier, where you did the like reality show with the two characters you were playing? Oh, that was with um, my friend Irene Katsaki. Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah, we created a series of works uh, as a duo called Lola and Stephen. Um, yeah. So we created a, a lot of video, yeah, video works. They were kind of a bit like soap up operas slash, yeah, reality TV shows. But yeah, so that was another collaboration. Yeah. It might so, yeah, be I think. Oh, sorry, continue. No, yeah, I was just saying just entering into that kind of very playful space you know of being able to and a lot of that is generated through like improvisation and just like a simple kind of setup of rules or whatever Um, yeah but yeah it becomes yeah a bit uh, it's another kind of fun hangout if you like (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to ask you now because after going through like your website's archive a lot of your earlier works kind of held signals of what we can now see as like fandom inspired and referential and I was kind of wondering, were you thinking of those kind of things at the time, or is it just more that your later work in fandom has kind of like it's become self like reflective, I guess, of your earlier things? Yeah, no, this is a really another great point. Um, so I have been working as a fan all of my life, but it wasn't until I discovered Larry Stylenson on Tumblr, and then found a whole community of people working as fans online that I realized. I had been making work, you know, with a lot of fan tendencies. So in, you know, back like 10 years ago, I made a series of works called I Want to Be in That Show or I Want to Be in That Film, which was basically me kind of, in a way, Mary Sue in. (laughs) Or like, just like, yeah, putting myself in and recreating a series of like performance artworks from the histories of performance art that I just wanted to be in and mixing those, remixing those with like personal narratives from my life or fictional versions of how maybe my life might be. <laughs> um, it was like, yeah, it was a remix and those kind of things. So when I, when I discovered, um, you know, for fandom on Tumblr in particular, I just kind of realized that somehow, you know, through all my collaborations uh, across the years with friends and other people in my community, particularly the live art community, I, I should say that the Live Art Development Agency and Lois Keaton, who runs it, has been a huge figure and influence um, and, you know, has enabled a real creative and inspiring community. Um, and without that, I really, yeah, it'll be, it, you know, it, that has been a means of me meeting so many other people who are kind of working in similar ways, particularly with performance and around, like, <clears throat> identity in, in, in various different ways. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so then discovering this stuff on Tumblr, I was like, wow, I've kind of been operating as a fan and I feel like, the live art community in the UK and the performance art scene in London was a bit like a fandom, you know. We were always somehow reworking each other's works. Um, there was this critique, you know, happening as well, where people would write about each other's works and then that would inspire, like, another performance or something. So there's always this dialogue going on. And, um, 
Yeah, and uh, it's it's true that I think I can't remember who says it, but as one fan, fan scholar that says, you know, that often fans who write fan fiction, for example, don't realize that they're fan fiction authors until lo- a long time into having, you know, already written loads of stuff about Harry Potter, you know, uh, and Drake or getting it on, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting you kind of talking about, like, the performance arts scene in London already being a fandom, especially, like, I'm trying to think of the piece. I think it was Milk Thing, where it's referencing fireworks by Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger. Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. That- almost making work in reference or in response to like previous artists that's almost an element of just creating like a piece of fan art in itself because obviously you've been inspired by another artist to make a thing and here's the response yeah wow wow i feel like you i haven't even thought about these works for so long (laughs) but it's really nice to hear that you've gone through the archive yeah the uh, what Milk Thing, yeah, was a piece that I performed in mostly kind of cabaret and club setups. Uh, and it was a collaboration with a friend called Ellen Trivelli, um, who was also like training to be a boxer. So we kind of incorporated that. But it was it came out of uh, a kind of task we had of watching Kenneth Anger films and wanting to create somehow a response to that. It's a very like, you know, they're not. it's not that close to to Kenneth Anger's work, but there's maybe elements of that of it in there in some way. So it does become a kind of fan fiction. I never thought of that work as a fan fiction, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> kind of thinking about that then, would you con- do you consider fandom spaces kind of vehicles for creative opportunity? Just because obviously you're existing in a lot of them and you're reflecting on a lot of them. I feel as though especially like a lot of like early career artists could maybe see those and like be inspired as kind of like coming up with opportunities for themselves and seeing how fandoms have done it. So how would, like, yeah. could you talk a bit more about that maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, I think fandom often does, does collaboration better than the art world, right? And I think, you know, for me, it was like, we've got a lot to learn. I mean, they have a lot to learn from each other, which is also part of it. And they're not also that distinct these days, I think. You know, now that, we're part of an online kind of digital network. The blur in between what is like a fandom and what is, you know, visual art or fine art or high art. As we know, those those lines are blurring and, you know, the community is online, whether that's producing content on YouTube or, you know, all these become kind of uh, interrelated in some ways. But I think what really inspires me about fandom is the amount of expertise that a fan has. And we've got a lot as academics and as artists to learn from that kind of very attached rather than really kind of, you know, the kind of conceptually critically distanced artist. <laughs> the fan is right in there, right? It's like up close, too too close. <laughs> it's got a little bit creepy. Um, and I'm interested in that because the fan is a, a, a really interesting model for a researcher, you know, stalking as a methodology. We talked about that in our <laughs> in our fan class. You know, when, you know, and fans bring up a lot of questions around the ethics of things like doing research and creating art practice because their attachments can sometimes be a little bit too intense, which then brings up these really interesting questions around, like, property, like, whose material is who's around authorship, 
Um, but then also around all these other things like, you know, collectivity and world making, collaborative world making, um, and really just the opportunity to work together to have a collective imagination and imagine something different to, you know, what we have already. Do you know what I mean? Kind of talking about the idea of like authorship, it might be nice just to quickly we round back to the exhibition you were part of at Gerwood Art Space. Was it 2014? Yeah. Where yeah. it was the Larry Monument. As it must have been quite strange, like showing something that's so inherently like fandom inspired in quite like a normal art setting, I guess. Because while Gerwood does have like that bit of like, experimentality to what's going on in there, it's still very much like this is a fine art space and you're putting fandom work within it. Could you yeah. perhaps talk a bit about how that went down? Just Yeah, I can. Um, that was, um, you know, I was very much aware of the idea of what it would be to bring, you know, something subcultural like fandom into, like, the space of legitimate culture, right? Um, and part of my project was investigating that. So Larry Monument was a fictional monument to... Uh, the Larry Stevenson fan community and the uh, imaginary romance between Louis and Harry from One Direction, yeah, which included um, <clears throat> this kind of structure with um, scaffolding st structure that was a little bit maybe sci-fi or something, a video called Larry Chicken uh, Ritual that was, was like um, uh, an etch a wall of etchings. Uh, the hieroglyphs. The hieroglyphs, yeah. yeah. So that was called Larry Hieroglyphics. Um, and that, yeah, they were kind of uh, tracings, basically, that I found of, like, moments of Louis and Harry kind of in intimate moments. So from gifts and, and just, like, looking through uh, backstage video material and stuff of the boys when they were, like, you know, just, like, goofing around and, like, a lot of those moments become like proofs basically that Larry is real um, <clears throat> and yeah so there was that then there was like a silicon belly which was the pre with the tat with Harry Styles tattoos and it was the pregnant belly of Harry Styles so I was very much interested in like uh, the aspect of like male pregnancy uh, and mpreg and then there was this flag called Larry underwater kiss which was uh, Louis and Harry kind of snogging underwater so this whole setup yeah draws you know on a lot of aspects of fan fiction uh and fantasy that comes out of that fandom around uh louis and harry um and when i put that into the gallery i also invited um a louis and harry lookalike to stage a fan fiction of Larry Stevenson, which was quite intimate and awkward <laughs> in the gallery with, you know, with an audience of uh, art goers and my friends, obviously, who came to it, which was amazing. Um, and it's, yeah, the, the, the documentation of that is still going viral every day on my Tumblr. There's like, I don't know how many hundred, yeah. So in some ways for me, that was, my a bit of an intervention into fandom but also into art right in the sense that this this performance artwork from a visual art kind of fine art perspective is now circulating within fandoms within the Larry Styles and fandom being loved and loathed equally <laughs> by fans some of them hate it 
um, and the critiques I get. But the thing that I'm super ex ex excited by is the commentary on the art world that comes from people in fandom. So a lot of um, a lot of people, a lot of fans online uh, have ended up role playing audience members from <laughs> from the, from the from the documentation, oh, and it's genius. I absolutely love this. They role play the audience members, you know, and. Um, that that has ended up producing these new kind of works as well, and that's what I was really hoping would happen. You know that that this work would become part of that, if you like, ecosystem or whatever on of um, of fan works. And uh, so yeah, that was really uh, an exciting part, and that's also when I felt like the work kind of, you know, despite being in somewhere like Jerwood that is obviously, you know, uh, a legitimate kind of art space as part of the art world. Um, the fact that the work traveled and is now, you know, that show ended and a long time ago and everyone, you know, there's been a million other shows since then, whatever. In fandom, however, that work is still every day having a moment and I'm excited by that. Um, so yeah, there's, there is something there. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you talking about the fans either loving or hating it, just because even like people were, like on the other side of it, so the Telegraph and Vice were reporting on this whole idea of being like Larry in the art space kind of thing. And I always think it's so interesting because obviously it's almost like the reverse is happening. Obviously the fandom is being like, oh, this is art in art kind of thing. But now they're being like, oh, this is fandom in the art space and kind of almost like make it like a clickbaity thing trying to get people interested because it is so other from what you'd expect in those kind of like spaces and environments yeah i'm, I'm kind of aware of that as well <clears throat> and i want to i want in some part of me wants to you know be a little bit kind of like protective over you know that space especially you know things like vice they're really known for their clickbait material and their like appropriation of subculture um, and I guess, you know, I am also, I also have a role to play in that and a responsibility. So, you know, different device then, I would say that my work was, you know, I had a sustained relationship with a number of fans involved in that project. Um, so, for example, the fan artist Karukara, whose initial Larry drawings that I found, um, I interviewed her multiple times. <clears throat> I was in conversation with her and other fans, you know, and actively contributing to that community for, I would say, like, maybe a year before I, I had a year or, or longer before I actually created Larry Monument. So it wasn't like an overnight thing. And I'm still invested and I'm still part of that fandom. I'm not, not as much, but that, you know, so are many other Larry Styles and fans not, you know, they, they, they go away and they come back. Uh, there has been like some resurgences. So, yeah, I'm not so much involved at the moment in <clears throat> um, in in that fandom. But, um, yeah, it is interesting how, you know, the Telegraph took it up and it did become, you know, and I guess for me, it, you know, it was an opportunity in, in a sense also, by working on such a popular um, figure of like One Direction, right? The One Direction fandom. 
popular culture is really important to me and it features in a lot of my work. Um, so does, you know, and I'm, I'm interested in where popular culture and like the underground and the avant-garde all mix and they do, there's a relationship. They, they, <clears throat> they feed into each other in different ways. Um, and that feels, you know, that feels really important. Um, but it's also important to, you know, like I say, to acknowledge the fact that there wasn't just a mere like appropriation, I think, happening in my work. And I, I talked a lot with, um, I also was invited to the Fansplaining podcast, um, which is uh, run by a, uh, two fans in the States. And I got to meet them when I was in New York last year. I, I, got, I did a fan meetup in their apartments as well, which was super exciting after... Um, and I met another one of them in um, in a fan studies conference in Cardiff as well. So it was like, yeah, it's been, in, you know, all of that actually, in a sense, I feel like my work, you know, because there is such a difference between the fan worlds and like also the performance art worlds and the art world, you know, as in canon art world. Um, they're all kind of their own little worlds in some ways, but I guess through my practice and my research, I've managed to have a foot in all these different kind of worlds. Um, and that for me is like super inspiring. But as you say, you know, we're looking for ways to like sustain a practice as well. Um, and that's, that has been a way to sustain a practice. But just one, one last thing around working around One Direction. You know, I really do believe like that uh, if anything is going to happen that is like a revolution or whatever, it has to begin with something that we can all kind of relate to in some ways, you know, across the board. And that's why I'm interested in popular culture. And that's the thing that can draw us all in, in some ways, you know, it's accessible. And yet within, within that, we can like create these amazing holes into like really different practices. And that's why fun fandom and fan fiction is so exciting for me, you know, that I can read this really, you know, quite strange fan fiction <laughs> that is just about Louis and Harry going shopping for curtains, but Harry is pregnant and, you know, and suddenly they body swap and something else happens. And just the possibilities of that is very, very exciting. And the fact that that is created as part of, you know, quite intense community, I think is where all its potential is. It's really lovely to kind of hear that from you because you do have such a duty of care, I guess, over the people you're interacting with and then being inspired by to put into these more like culture art spaces, I guess. Yeah. Just being aware of, I <laughs> kept you talking for long enough. Do you have any just like final, any advice or like lessons you've learned perhaps from working in these kind of spaces that could be useful for people who are still trying to get their work out there? Yeah, just what I said about hanging out. Um, just hang out in as much <laughs> art, you know, hang out with other artists, you know, make stuff with your friends, um, do stuff, you know, also that, you know, I think a lot of the time we don't know when we're actually making something as well. Um, and just, yeah, I suppose it's entering into the spirit of it, isn't it? And, you know, that's, that's such a, in some ways that is an amazing privilege to, to be able to have that as well. And like, 
studying fine art, how amazing, you know, to be with this, with all of these people. And I always say that to my students. I'm like, really make the most of this now because, you know, it is different when you finish and when you leave, um, when you leave the safe space of the institution. Um, you know, this is an opportunity, you know, so this is also the opportunity to build those networks that will sustain you in the future, you know. Um, but it's all—it's always got to be got to be followed with pleasure and uh, kind of, yeah. It's always got to be a party in some ways. <laughs> That's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything you said. Now, just quickly moving on, you—you're currently working on the staging decadence over at Goldsmiths. Would you like to talk a bit about how that project's going before we leave? Yeah, <clears throat> I can say a little bit about um, staging decadence. Yeah. So um, I have a research position at the moment uh, as part of the Stage and Decadence project in Goldsmiths, which is exploring um, uh, decadence, if you like, as a kind of embodied methodology in performance and, and specifically theatre practices across the long 20th century. Um, <clears throat> so that's like mining the histories, basically, of decadence right up to, you know, now, but also looking through the history to things as far back as like Oscar Wilde um, and where like, De you know, and Audrey Beardsley's kind of illustrations and stuff. Um, and we, as part of this project, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm a researcher and it's run by Adam Alston, who's um, a lecturer in Goldsmiths in the theatre and performance department. Um, and Adam's making a, creating a book out of this project. Um, and I, I came into this project because my PhD was on trash. Um, and this project in some ways is mining kind of the histories of like excessive bodies, spectacle, you know, but also things like my work on the hangout um, and this idea of kind of luxuriating uh, spaces. All of this is kind of part of that work. So we've had a series of seminars running recently, including one that I did last week. Uh, with Adam, which was themed around agitation, supersaturation, and trash. Um, and this week, uh, we've got another seminar coming up, which is on, um, it's on decadence and the occult. Um, and we've got a series of speakers coming in for that. Um, and then, yeah, in the summer, after the summer, hopefully, we're staging a salon at uh, a place called Here in New York, which will be with a, a series of performance artists um, who make work uh, in some ways, you know, employing methods or embodied practices of decadence. And then there's going to be in London next January, the date isn't confirmed, but it will be in January, um, at Rich Mix in London, there will be uh, a series of performances as part of a stage and decadence salon event. So there will be talks and uh, and performances as part of that. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll drop the stage and decadence uh, website uh, as a link for you to to share as well, Mardi. Perfect. Thanks so much. Hopefully, I'll be including a few links like that going to your own personal website and some other things I think are interesting from your work. So those will be attached either in the description of this episode or on the Exhibitions Inhibitions website itself. Now, to kind of draw it with close, thank you so much for letting me talk to you today. It's genuinely been a delight. I, yeah, I just really appreciate talking to you. I love hearing you talk about your work and everything you've done. So thanks so much for joining oh, me. 
That's great. Thanks, Maddie. And thanks so much for, you know, for diving really deep into my archive. Uh, That was like a a flashbacks from history there. It was uh, quite nice to take stock of as well. So thank you. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thanks so much. I'll quickly sign off the episode with this has been the Inhibitions podcast with Radar. And thank you for listening.